Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Test, but like launch as fast as you can, because like the world will tell you and it's the world will tell you if it's working or not. And how they'll tell you is you're either making money or you're losing money. And you got to know what that looks like. And if you're mo- losing money, that's the best education you can get. What's up, everybody? Welcome. This is the first non marking Millennials live recording that we've done outside of an event. So I'm excited. And first time with Ari as a co-host. So let's go. It's an honor. Today, we're going to talk about everything websites, e-com. Ari's an expert at e-com. These two run an amazing brand. How I want to get it started is for Jazz and Jamil to talk about how they started Yellow Beauty, a little bit of background of, of that, and we'll get into more of the nitty-gritty after that. So I guess the brand came to life. I used to work at Shopify as a product designer and everyone there, we basically all got a free store to play around with. Most people didn't really do anything with it, but for some reason I was like, I need to play around with this. So we actually first started another brand and we just like launched on Instagram, had like a really simple site and it was these like whole spice blends and we made a lot of mistakes with that one. We like launched a ton of different blends at once, like bought all of this product. It was still really basic packaging, but we really quickly realized this is not a business that we should be doing. And ironically, the one product that sold the least was our turmeric blend, or I guess it was like just whole, just just straight turmeric. Everyone else was a blend. We had turmeric, we had a ton of it left over. And we're like, what do we do? now <laughs> I, th- I think it was a great idea at the time it was actually called spice talks this is the plug for it yeah. even though it's- it was during the time of all those like skinny like tea detox yep. and we're like let's do the spice talks we're super cool um but it didn't work out at all i mean the core product was still amazing in my opinion you know we'll revive it one day maybe nick will invest in it and uh <laughs> yeah so like the idea behind it like i said was pretty fantastic it was a uh, whole spice blends so most people don't know this, but you know a lot of medicines derive from volatile oils and compounds in spices. But when they're ground up, they lose their medicinal be- benefits rather quickly. And at the time, you know, um, gluten-free and celiac disease was like a big topic. So after doing some research, we realized, man, a lot of spice blends like are actually quite cheap. And how are they so cheap? It's because they're pumping them full of flour and salt to bring down the price. And so a lot of people, especially in North America, they have like intolerances with it. So we were basically trying to like reposition and recreate these amazing whole spice blends that you need to grind yourself after toasting it in order to maximize those medicinal benefits. But, but yeah, we learned people are lazy. So exactly. we very quickly pivoted. Um, and then I guess what happened was um, I was struggling with my skin. You Canadian winters. You obviously knew that like turmeric was a really big deal in like your background, but it wasn't really a thing yet in skincare in North America. Like we weren't really seeing it anywhere. And been appropriated yet? No. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we weren't seeing it. We weren't seeing it around. Um, Whoops. 
Yes. <laughs> no, we love it. Um, yeah. So uh, when I was eight, you know, we do what most Bengalis do. You go like wedding season. So it was basically going on for like six months. And my favorite core memory was like the turmeric ceremony. And it's called the Gaiholud, which is literally translates to body yellow. So um, basically, it's like a s- three-day ceremony. And part of it is basically you go to the bride and groom and you literally rub like raw turmeric paste on them and you feed them sweets. But I would always like do the whoop, eat it myself. And there was like a, a lot of cool benefits behind it. But as an eight-year-old, I didn't give a crap. I just wanted the sweets. And so when uh, Jazz and I were looking into it, we realized like, Turmeric's a crazy strong antiseptic. It really helps brighten skin and it reduces dark marks and creates like an even skin tone. So we tested it, we tried it, and that was how the first product was born. Yeah, so we basically just launched a store, really, really simple. And then we posted on Instagram and really quickly kind of tested. Back then it was like you could post anything on Instagram and see really quickly like what the results were. So people were really interested in just like the bright color and yeah, it was super easy to get sales back then. So then the one product that Yellow Beauty started with, that's intentional because we had the million spices and we learned from that, Yeah, which is, I mean, it worked out. So then was it scary for you to then, once Yellow Beauty started to be a thing, to expand your range? Yeah, because we were making that product like ourselves just in our condo. And it was actually that product got picked up really quickly by anthropology and we had to like figure all that stuff out. Um, We had like really rudimentary packaging. Um, We had to we had never shipped like a palette before. So that happened. And then based off of that, we started to add more products to the mix. Our packaging sucked. (laughs) When we first started, what was crazy was uh, anthropology reached out as Jazz was saying, they wanted to put us in all 300 stores uh, throughout North America. And at the time, Jazz just said yes. And we didn't know how we were going to produce it. And that was the craziest part because we started, like she was saying, making the stuff ourselves with a $1,000 credit card bootstrapped. I even remember putting on some of the labels sideways and she'd smack me over the head. And I was like, that costs money. Like, let's keep it on. And she's like, no, it has to be perfect. So we're like a good foil for each other. But Yeah, I literally like cold emailed and called like hundreds of manufacturers in the States. I did not even know what I was asking for. And literally within like two, three months before we had to deliver, I actually secured a manufacturer out of Omaha. Omaha. (laughs) Omaha. (laughs) We still have not gone to Omaha to see that doctor until this time. (laughs) Probably not. But uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. I want to go into how you guys created the website. I mean, it's one of the best websites we've seen, and Ari says it's one of the best websites, so I agree with her when it's one of the best websites. So what goes into making a great website for an e-com brand? So when we first launched, I was not, I actually didn't really do website design. I was more product design. So when I relaunched it recently, it was kind of everything that I've been learning at Sharma Brands. So Yeah, I think the main thing is just like really focusing on like strong video, good assets, really pushing UGC, getting that social proof across and making sure that if someone comes to your site and they've never heard of the brand, like they need to get it immediately. So the copy is really important and you need to think like, yeah, if someone has never seen this before, how are you going to communicate that? As the one who doesn't touch the website because Jazz would kill me, 
the secret to making a good website is to pay Nick Sharma's retainer. Uh, first, <laughs> second is, I think Jazz had like a superpower well before, and she was really able to hone it with Sharma Brands. But I've always said that she's really good at getting one thing across instantly, and I think that's like the secret with like website conversions is it's just so there could be so much information on there. And as founders, what we tend to do is we apply this pressure to people to care about the product the same way we do. But the reality is they don't give a shit. So you have to make them care within like such a small window of time. And I think that's like jazz is fantastic at it. And, you know, this is like, uh, Nick, I better get some money for this. You know, this is Sharma Brand's bread and butter. And, um... No, I've just honestly watched her like really evolve over time. And she took all those learnings and put it into our new site, which I freaking love. Well, I also think you were a product designer at Shopify. So like, you know how a website or any product is meant to function. And Yellow Beauty is stylish and cool and fun and clear. But you're also like a product designer who now has become a designer of UX UI and a designer of packaging and designer of everything. But I think you kind of know how to do like big scale. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really different. Like when you're in product design, you spend so much more time on like the front half of things. So like the wireframe process or it's like it's it's even before that, like the user journeys and the customer journey and like the research. Literally, we would spend like sometimes six months on that before we would even move even close to high fidelity and that was just like literally plug and play at that point so yeah there's so much like stuff that goes in the background and then translating it to e-com and you know agency life where you have to move way faster i think that really helped um, just like having that context before for people who don't know like how do you figure out that one thing that should be put on the website like what was the process like to figure that out I mean, yeah, I think so many people with brands, they like, I think it's really important to find that one thing that makes you different. I think in skincare specifically, so many people lock in on, oh, we're natural, we're cruelty free, we're vegan. And like, I think people think that that's unique, but what's the one thing that makes you stand out from everyone else? And that's what you have to communicate. Turmeric. Yes, the yellow color. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'll just step in and reiterate what Jazz said. So many people think, uh, like we do some consulting for some skincare brands as well, some kind of smaller new ones. And they keep like coming up with their value prop. And like Jazz was saying, it's like, oh, but we're natural, we're cruelty free. And it's like, well, that's like saying, hey, my, my lawyer knows the law. It's kind of like, it's like a restaurant knows how to make good food. It's like, well, no duh. Why would you go to them, right? For any other reason. So uh, it, it is really different, uh, difficult because it's such like a saturated industry, like, so many like every celebrity out there has like you know a skincare brand well it's also one of the easiest things to make because it's so unregulated so anyone can make skincare yes. in their house very unregulated there's like no process to it <laughs> and it has good margins yeah so it's not like a bad exactly. business to break into mm -hmm. for the website so you create the great website so what are the the tech that goes behind the website to make sure it flows well, it has a good customer experience. What are, what are some things you're using? 
yeah, we've so for reviews we use uh, Clavio, Clavio. I never know how to say it. Clavio. Clavio. Well, I say Clavio. So okay. Clavio. I think you're right. And then yeah, for reviews we've been using Okendo, Cart, Rebuy, and then we've been we just launched subscription. We're doing we're using Smarter for that, but we try and keep it pretty bare bones because we're like we don't have a massive budget so we only spend on the things that like we really think are important i also want to go into so you worked at shopify's um what is like the biggest lesson you learned when from shopify when creating this product yeah i think it's definitely looking through the eyes of the user like that's the biggest one and i think we've kind of touched on that where you need to make sure that this is communicated to someone who's never heard it before. Um, it has to be like really, really clear. Um, and the things that you think are obvious aren't aren't obvious. Um, so I think that's like definitely the biggest lesson. And like I said, we would spend so much time on that. So it's like ingrained in my head. Yeah, I'll, I'll give an anecdote because we've probably rebranded, changed our packaging or changed our name like three or four times over eight years. So um, I think Two or three years ago, we had this investor we brought on board, and he was very enthusiastic. We were very jaded, and we were trying to do this big kind of rebrand on the packaging side, and we were creating all these like nuanced messages of like skincare and flux and flows and these lines representing roots and nature. What we did, which was brilliant at the time, is we stopped selling for eight months because uh, you, you like took down the site well we didn't we didn't want to that was that's another story but <laughs> all right, all right, hey, uh, that's that's another story i don't want to get sued so i'm not going to say it but we were so focused on what it was going to look like because we thought it needed this deep story and it needed this like hidden meanings almost hidden meanings. it's like no one we were no trying to be smart asses right and realistically we realized the product's actually quite simple the benefits are pretty straightforward. And instead of allowing people or the product to sell itself, the user to kind of tell the story, we were trying to manufacture something because, you know, we thought we were going to be like a luxury skincare brand, but we weren't. So I think realizing like who you are, staying in your lane and actually doubling down on that versus trying to be something you're not and growing up before you're actually ready to take the next step. Jazz and I see that every day because we see like the coolest brands, the most successful brands, they move quickly, they like take expert opinions and then they just bring it to market and they see what will happen. So I'm glad it's back uh, online and selling. And then Jamil, you have like Jazz by day is at Sharma Brands and be before that she was at Shopify, but you have a burger brand that is very successful and very different. And so do you think that being the entrepreneur you are there helps Yellow Beauty or like how does it work together? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, to say something personally, last year I was diagnosed with being ADHD and adult ADHD. So it really puts a lot of things into perspective in my life. You know, if you found out at a later age that you have it, come hit me up. I'll give you some life lessons. But really, like my mind's just like I'm honestly all over the place a lot of the time. And I think it just like, it satisfies that craving where like, I can't shut my mind up a lot of the time. So, you know, luckily like weed's legal here, right? Yeah. And New York, I think, but definitely. So in, in Toronto, it's like, you know, that's something that sometimes. That's I, literally all you smell. <laughs> in Toronto. Um, 
yeah, like it, I, I think I was able to take a lot of the principles from there, but realistically, like running a business is about like learning from other people and their mistakes. And I actually grew up like really independent and not to get into my life story, but I used to like refuse help and try to like pretend that I was smarter than I used to be. And, uh, you know, over time I realized that made me like really stupid. So, you know, now it's like, I'm at a point in my life where I'm comfortable knowing that like, yeah, I'm actually a bit of a dumbass in this like area. And it, it's really allowed me to like ask people for help and like restaurants are a tough business, right? That's kind of where I'm going with it. And I think I was able to take a lot of like getting my ass whooped and realizing I was wrong. And even, you know, at one point I had like four restaurants, I'm down to two. I'm bringing in new partners and trying to scale and expand again. And business is like, like life, you know, you have good days, you have bad days. And I think we're able to take a lot of that with Yellow Beauty and just like stay grounded because it's been eight years and we've had so many highs and so many lows that now in hindsight, it's like I didn't appreciate a lot of those times. So now whatever happens, it's like I'm I'm just honestly grateful that like, you know, I get to do it with jazz and uh, get to have a good time and get to be up here with you guys. One thing that I want to get in to you, your story of Yellow Beauty. So Yellow Beauty, um, obviously you have a great site, a great product, but how are you getting customers? How are you acquiring customers? How people know about Yellow Beauty? Because, I mean, it's easy, it's hard to start a product, but it's easy to spin up a website. Anybody could do that. But how do you get people to a website? A lot of the work that we did over the first few years is kind of set the foundation. I remember at one point we were trying to get a lot of PR organically because we couldn't afford a PR company. In fact, we paid one on the San Diego for like three months. It was a massive flop. We were getting in like magazines that honestly to us like were just completely irrelevant. So Jazz and I figured out, you know, we kind of like pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and we ended up finding people on LinkedIn, following the editors the writers slowly engaging in their content. And it's like a manual organic trip strategy, liking their stuff. And as soon as they commented back, it was like, we got them. And then we'd actually DM them. And we got a lot of press like that. We got into girl boss alert, Britain code GQ. And you know, the SEO from that was like fantastic. Like most people, we spent a lot of money on ads we made a lot. We lost a lot. We also really went hard on ads right when iOS, what was it? IOS like 2021. Yeah. Yeah. That was literally when we're like, we're doing it. And then it literally changed. Um, so that was a major <laughs> horrible time. Um, but I think it was like really different at the beginning because you could just launch something on Instagram. You could just give free product to like any influencer and they would take it. It's just not the same now. So I think we learned really quickly during that time, like we can't be paying influencers unless you can afford like Kim Kardashian. It's mainly like not worth it. Um, it's better to just like go with the micro influencers and get that content to turn into ads um, instead of just like, I think Instagram is very, very different now. It used to kind of be your, like your feed was your marketing tool, but now it's kind of just like a second website. And it's better, I think, to get content from influencers that are like cheap or free and then spin it into ads. And then I'd also say there's a lot of like amazing platforms out there that have already created traffic for you and you just need to position yourself properly. Like we get a lot of orders through FAIR 
you know, uh, it's like an online wholesale marketplace and we're a top shop on fair. Jazz does a fantastic job, like maintaining the relationships and we don't have to do anything. The orders just come in and there's even like a lot of, I don't know if it's like a black hat SEO technique where like you can create like Google locations in different cities and have like internal landing pages. And then people will search you in a city. And like, there's just all like, like I said, like there's just such a big community out there. And there's always like ways to learn. Like I love scouring Reddit and just seeing what people are doing. Maybe I go down a little Reddit rabbit hole and get a little negative and pessimistic, but everything's changing all the time. You always have to kind of be on your toes. I think one of the lessons like that I'm getting from this is a lot of people try to do all the tactics that people are doing. But I think the thing that you two are doing, which is like, which I think great entrepreneurs do, great marketers do, is just do scrappy things like, the PR thing scrappy, the Google thing scrappy, how you got your manufacturer scrappy. So what are some other scrappy things that you've done when building this? Trying to think of some others. Yeah, because we we definitely don't have like a big budget at all. We don't like, like Jamil said, we started this with a thousand dollars and like a credit card of two thousand dollars. So it's like we don't have a lot to to test and play around with. So we're always trying to like, yeah, how can we get in front of people in a way that just is like sliding into their DMs or like finding, like you said, like a buyer through Instagram instead of just going to their email inbox where they just get like a ton of messages all day. So that's another way that we were able to land wholesale accounts was just like same PR strategy just through through Instagram. I think another thing too is like know your unit economics. At one point we were we were spending so much on various apps because like, honestly, there's so much FOMO online. Like there's FOMO in like social life. There's FOMO in like, you know, your personal life. There's FOMO with business. So it's like every app is that app at one point. And this was a few years ago where I thought, oh my God, like this is gonna, we're gonna get three times ROAS. This is gonna scale us up. We're gonna, we're gonna hit these crazy six figure months. And you're spending hundreds, if not thousands on these apps that really it's like, they're not going to help with your traffic problem. Yeah. They'll like optimize things and maybe they'll automate things. But if you suck at acquiring traffic, you're still not going to have enough traffic for all these apps to do their thing. And, um, it's knowing to like cut costs and like working within your means and, um, just making sure and being really critical. Like after all, it's a business, right? So it's like, even for us, we launched a few products where like the margins weren't quite there. It just wasn't selling. And I think we had like a body scrub that we made. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, and you know, so we're big into like <laughs> test, but like launch as fast as you can. Because like the world will tell you and it's the world will tell you if it's working or not. And how they'll tell you is you're either making money or you're losing money. And you got to know what that looks like. And if you're mo- losing money, that's the best education you can get. You know, nothing, oh God, like this is so sadistic, but it's like nothing is, nothing will make action like watching that bank account dwindle where it's like, I got to make a move, you know? And I think that's like what makes entrepreneurs like really resourceful. And that's how, you know, it's really even helped our relationship a lot because it's like we've had to have difficult, you know, sometimes I would be really scared of like making a big decision. And luckily, like Jazz is there. And then other times, you know, she might be really struggling with something. And it's like just having that other person, having like an honest relationship, whether it's your partner, your business partner, even your employees, like people are always there to help. 
right? And I think sometimes we forget that. It's like, at the end of the day, no matter what I sell, it's another person on the other end buying it. People buy from people. We don't buy products. We're buying stories like, honestly, at the end of the day, like we sell skincare, I sell burgers. You know, like what makes it different? It's, it's making sure that like the person on the other end feels something. We don't know what they'll feel necessarily, but if the packaging's great, the website's fantastic, like something's going to hit. And, you know, you got to figure out what that looks like and make sure you don't go broke along the way. This is a great lesson for any like D2C brand or B2B brand that are going through like the tough times right now. I think number one, understanding your unit economics, understanding how much money comes in, understanding profits, understanding will make you a way better marketer is understanding the whole business as a whole. Because a lot of people like back a year or two ago was I could spend whatever I want just to acquire customers. And now like what you two are doing or what people should have been doing for the last eight years, but not many markers know how to do it now because they don't sit down with finance enough. They don't know the unit economics. They don't know like profit loss, but entrepreneurs know that because they're checking the bank account. They're spending their own money. Even for fair, like wholesale, most people would assign an e-commerce manager or a CX manager to like go in, check orders, like pass them on to something else. But that's like a really lazy way to treat a really profitable channel. And like you actually make it so the person who's sending you that order has like a real person they care about that they want to support and come back for. And most people don't like take that time. And most CEOs or CMOs don't even really like have eyes on that channel. They probably never logged in. They probably never seen an order or like seen how it even goes they just think it's like something to do and then you could lose so much money that like customers can just come back for you if you like take the energy yeah and that's especially like for fair and in in particular because it's so many small like every business on there is another small boutique so they really like when it's like they're dealing with the founder Um, a lot of the time like they want to support other small businesses because they are one too so yeah that definitely makes a difference you know, like I'm, I would say I'm more the hacky one out of the two of us. Jazz is like, jazz is like what I would say, you know, she's the clean, presentable, like if there was like a front, I would put jazz, uh, you know, as the front of the business. And I'm like the guy doing the illegal stuff in the back. And, you know, like one of the things we recently, I recently did was like, I found a bunch of like competing B2C websites, like candle brands that are in like larger uh, retailers and they have like a ton, like a shit ton of these small little boutiques that I was like, oh, our shit looks good. Our website's legit. If we could like cold reach out to these customers, we should be able to acquire them. And so what I did is I went on Fiverr. I paid some guy out of Pakistan, I think, to scrape the locations tabs of all these websites. And he got me like 3000 leads and emails so then we created a, that is a good one we i just created a script and i was like all right hopefully like someone will answer out of these and you just kind of keep harassing them until they put you on spam and they fuck up your email domain and yeah but we haven't reached out to any of them yet so we need to get on <laughs> no no we had Kate reaching out <laughs> right, right we had we had some but not not Jamil's enough. got it yeah like i said she doesn't always have to know what i do as long as that'll get us in trouble or sued, you know? <laughs> That's where you also have to be careful who has access to your stuff. What is the best part of working with 
like your husband and best part of working with your wife? I think the biggest thing for me is we can be completely brutally honest with each other. I think a lot of the time when you work with someone, you're not going to tell them, you know, that email sucked. Like you, you suck at writing. Like you're not going to say, you're not going to say that to someone. So I think we can help each other grow a lot more in certain things because we can just be direct. Um, I think that's. I, I used to write so poorly. That's why I use that like, example. It's like so bad. I, I used to be like that wannabe MSN gangster. Uh, it, it, I don't know how old everyone is, but like, you know, I used to like shorten, abbreviate everything. I used to, I was like, commas are cool if I use them in the wrong places type of thing. And what I didn't realize as I got older and I had to communicate with people more and more is that like, I would instantly lose credibility as I would try to communicate with people, especially as a business owner. So that was something that really jazz like some days I would I'd fucking hate when jazz would be on me about it because I knew she was right, but I didn't want to admit it all the time. And like truthfully, it hurt my ego. So it really like forced me to it, it really forced me to like be humble about certain things because like I realized like, damn it, I'm being an emotional child. I really need to like take this feedback and it's because like she wouldn't stop that I had, but, but, it, and that's what makes us like great foils for each other. Like I said, jazz's standards are so high that for me, it's like, I am a little bit sloppy. Like I'll admit it, but I'm willing to like try shit like fast, even if it doesn't make sense. And I think like we're great pairing for that. It's made our relationship better, communication better. And now when she shits on me, I'm just like, all right, where's the, where's the TP? Let's do this. Oh my God. No, but I think the other thing though, for example, like when we had, we had a really, you know, intense partnership with someone that we didn't align with at all. And I think that was huge to have each other because if I was coming home, like if I came home from that experience and he didn't understand it, it would have been really tough to go through, but because you were like right there and understood and had the relationship with him as well. It was like, we could just like totally get it. Um, yeah. It was our COVID story. Every morning we would like go on like trauma therapy, coaching talks and walks where one day I like, it, cause we had to deal with the same person, this powerful piece of, I don't want to get sued. So <laughs> I want to also go into, um, some of like the biggest lessons that you've learned from starting yellow beauty. Like I know we talked about marketing, but just like general lessons that you've learned from the beginning. I think the biggest one just compared to that first brand that we launched was you starts. I, I think if you're bootstrapping, start small, like don't, don't go all out. Don't try and like get the manufacturer, like the manufacturer with massive MOQs at first, like try as much as you can to keep it small and tight because you don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, if I could give advice, it would be if you can launch with less products, if you can launch with one product and don't feel like it has to be perfect at the beginning. Cause like, like you were saying, like we launched with, we literally had our product in a paper bag and with a sticker on it. And I think like now, if I think my standards have changed and I would really cringe at that if I did that today, but I think that that's what helped us do it. Because if we were waiting for the perfect packaging, we wouldn't have been able to afford it. So we just wouldn't have launched. So I think, yeah, the biggest thing, start small and see what happens. Yeah, like, a, I don't know why I love this saying, but it's like, 
if you're small and you screw up, no one's going to know anyways. Like, so there's, there's no point in really worrying about like what people are going to, cause like for me, I, I grew up in a culture where it's like, it's all about face. I'm from Bangladesh. If I didn't say that earlier, born in Canada, families from Bangladesh. And like, we just give a shit so much what people think about us. I didn't realize how much it affected me as a child, but like in business, it was really something that like bothered me for a while. You know, I, I always had to tell myself, like, even if this sucks, it's so small that like no one's going to even realize it sucks anyway. So why am I so scared of like launching and trying something? And I would say the other biggest lesson, because I was piggybacking off Jazz's awesome lesson was um, like believe in yourself faster. So um, six months to a year in, we had some pretty wicked opportunities where we had some private equity funds and some investors out of New York. I think at the time they had the president of Warby Parker and uh, or the CEO of Warby Parker as one of the investors in the funds. And they seriously wanted to invest in us. And I remember Jazz and I kept looking at each other being like, we're not good enough. Like, we suck. Like, we literally were telling ourselves, like, why would people want to invest in us? And we actually ran away from those conversations. And I think a huge part of it was, like, we didn't have, like, a mentor or, like, peers in the space because we were so, like, insular where we were like, yeah, we could do this ourselves. Well, we literally knew no one, especially, like, we didn't know anyone doing this. Um, we didn't know Nick Sharma. <laughs> no, but also, like, when we got that PO for anthropology, that was, like, a massive order and we didn't even know at the time that that was not a normal, normal first order. order like normally when big like they had the faith in you and you didn't really realize yeah like they they ordered an abnormal amount for a first run and being new to it we literally and, and not having any mentors we we're just like oh this is just what it is like this is just what wholesale is like so we didn't capitalize on that opportunity like that's when we should have looked for funding when we were still so new it was like six months in or even like five months in and we got this big order like that's when we should have done it but like Jamil said we just were like oh like but we're still not that good yet so yeah why? like or or we kind of thought oh we can just do it ourselves we kept we thinking just... we would do it ourselves and like we didn't realize how a lot of these businesses scaled so i think our first order with anthropology was like over ten thousand units and and that story was insane too because yeah because normally it's like a hundred it's literally it can be sometimes like do like a hundred for the online store like this was in physical stores which is not normal and it's our sell-through was so strong that it was four times stronger than what their normal people do people their normal brands and then right away they were like okay we want to restock you and they did it two or three times and then they're like are you guys launching new products yeah they're like, like what what else do you have we're like nothing <laughs> and and we didn't realize at the time that this is what they wanted and they wanted like four or five SKUs from us and that at the time for us would have been like 50 to 100k in inventory that we didn't have the cash for and we weren't prepared and we thought, oh man, like our sell through is super high and this is just going to keep going. And they were like, no, no, we need more products. You don't have any? Bye. And we lost the account. Uh, a year and a half of nurturing, getting constant orders. And it was just like, see you later. And, and at the time we thought, how the hell are we supposed to launch all these new products and have all this new inventory? And, you know, that was probably one of the biggest lessons, like believe in yourself, take a chance, take a risk, ironically. You know, we risked it by starting a business, but we were too naive and green at the time to realize that, like, other people have scaled their businesses in a different way and manner. 
So that for me was like a huge takeaway. Believe in yourself and have a network of people who've been there, done that. Because sometimes they'll smack you over the head and kind of make you change your ways rather quickly. Just coming from a sports background, I think people forget that you just need to get those practice reps and become good at the sport before like you actually have that confidence to step on the field and do it. And I think even probably getting the count loss and all the things that you've had is probably just things that have made you better and better as you're playing on the field. So I think it's not like maybe even if you made another product, it might have not succeeded. So I think like every decision you've made is just getting more and more practice. And I think that's like, and I think what's also great is you both are taking, it's good that you're taking small and small steps. It's not like, oh, I'm taking a jump. I'm taking this jump. It's like, I'm taking these small, small steps and they're all adding up on each other to make a better and better brand. Like start with a small packaging and a, a, a plastic bag to a good product, to a great website, to great marketing, to, and then it keeps, it just keeps snowballing and then your confidence just keeps going up because you keep practicing. Yeah. It's kind of just like a massive test, really. That's kind of what I see this, this brand as it's like everything we doing, everything we've done is just like lessons for maybe like this one or the next one. Um, it just depends. And I think something you touched upon, I really liked it was saying like, you know, treat it like a sport and, and build that confidence. I think people forget that like we're people at the end of the day. You know, it's like entrepreneurs, like I always say it, I'm like, Tim Ferriss, you fucked shit up for us a while ago. You made it this sexy rock star life. It's like, shit's hard. You know, it's very hard and it's mentally taxing. And if you're not taking care of yourself, actually enjoying your life a little bit, your business is going to suck because your business is you. You know, you're the one who leads your business and you're, you know, like you might have a team in all that, but like no one's going to care as much as you do. So if you don't take care of yourself, you don't actually enjoy your life it's going to reflect in everything else. And I think a lot of what we've been through has made us just like accept certain things a lot faster rather than like putting this immense pressure and intensity on ourselves where it's like no one, like if we said out loud the things we say to ourselves, this is everyone, this is not just entrepreneurs, just people, like you would be shocked what we say to ourselves in our own heads. And that over time can just like, it can fucking kill you. And it's just so hard. So I think after all these years, like we've been through so many highs and lows that sometimes when things don't work out our way, instead of fighting, we're just kind of like, ah, all right, that didn't work out. What next? Where you want to go for dinner tonight? You want to get some masks? Cause you know, it's forest fires outside and have casual conversations like that. One thing I also like asking this podcast and people who listen know is what is a marketing hill that you would die on? I think it's like what we were talking about earlier with knowing what your unique value prop is. I think that's the biggest one that so many brands miss and it really trickles down to everything that you do from your ads to your site, from like the way that influencers talk about you. I think it's like, I think that's the really key one for me from a marketing perspective maybe not like performance marketing but like i would say we're both more like creative brand marketers where we really drill down on like story messaging like why should you buy from us it's kind of like that simon Sinek talk of like 
people by why, not what, or how. I think that's just like the most important thing is just re remembering that there's a human being on the other side and that unless you're literally creating some like insane patented unique idea, your idea's probably already been created by someone else. So the differentiating thing is just what makes us human and just trying to connect with the person on the other end and remembering that like they have a life, they have issues and how can you like make that product part of their roster, their life to help them overcome those issues or bring some joy into their life. It doesn't always have to be like problems. Well, you guys are amazing. And I mean, for me, it's really cool to see a married couple doing something together and working hard and like building for their empire. Daniel and I, whenever something good happens to me or something good happens to him or something bad, it's all like contributing to Murray empire. It's like us. And I think that's exactly. what you guys do. And it's really cool to see before we go. And for everyone who's listening, you must buy Yellow Beauty. And so Jazz, take it away. What is the beauty routine? Like what three products can they not not buy? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> the Elixir, yes. Um, I would do the essential set. That's all of the daily products. So um, the cleanser, the toner, the Elixir, and the moisturizer. So that's like a good starting point to use every day. Yeah, literally use the elixir before I came. Flower water. Yeah, the toner is the like toner. Love. So I have to bring it like what's it called? Like it has to come to me from across the border, and so I have to order an extra just in case it takes a second and I like my skin won't forgive me. So we'll put this in the show notes. And if you don't buy Yellow Beauty, then you didn't learn anything in this episode. And uh, Daniel, anything else? Yeah, also, I mean, Yellow Beauty, you're talking about where could people find you two? Yeah, so, oh, where can you find Yellow Beauty? No, you. Oh, us. You. Me. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I guess on Instagram, Jazzy Fent, J-A-Z-Y-F-E-N-Z. <laughs> Say it again, I interrupted you, sorry. Dead, sorry, I'm Canadian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Jamil Bouya, J-A-M-I-L dot B-H-E-Y-A. Or you could hit me up on Burgers and Fries Forever. And then her at was J-A-Z-Y-F-E-N-T. Yes. Okay. And then buy the essential set and your skin will forever thank you. Yeah. Yellowbeauty.com. Super easy. Well, thank you, everybody. This has been great. And thank you, Jazz and Jamil, for telling your story and sharing your insights. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.